0: Almighty God, we offer thanks for the Word made flesh and for the promise of the ages that was finally delivered on Christmas night. Now open our minds and our hearts to your holy Word. Speak to us through it and enliven us to live it. And now may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. I call this the greatest story ever told for reasons that I hope will become apparent as we talk. I had spoken a week or two ago that the reading, the ninth lesson from Lessons and Carols at King's College, Cambridge, stops short of where I think the reading really ought to go to ring all of the theology out of John's Prologue. It stops at verse 14. I believe it really ought to go through verse 18. So I'll do it, follow along with the text as far as it goes and then just listen to the rest, I suppose. Lesson 9. St. John unfolds the great mystery of the incarnation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that was the true light, which lighteth every man which cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared Him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Back in the day, people used to go to the movies to watch musicals. And before that, they went to the theater to listen to operas. I suppose that our modern age doesn't have much room for entertainments like that around the Kardashians and the Real Housewives of Atlanta. But if you remember musicals and operas, you recall that they all start with an overture. An overture is the piece of music that begins the whole work, and there are elements of all of the music in the work all in the overture. And the composer uses the overture to set out the themes of the musical piece. The scholars say that John's prologue is in the nature of an overture. He sets out the themes that will recur over and over in his thematic gospel. Themes like light and life and grace and truth. But I think that he was perhaps aiming for something also a little bit higher than just a a summing up to begin to open his gospel. And I think that this is why I refer to it as the greatest story ever told, because in a way it sums up all of Holy Scripture, or at least I read it that way. Back when I was watching the food network more often than I do now. I really enjoyed watching the cooking shows and especially Emeril Lagasse as he would joke and, and uh, cajole with his audience and cook these interesting things and make, you know, crack, tell stories and, and fix wonderful food. And I found that I would learn things about cooking that I, I just kind of picked up by osmosis without even trying to write down his recipes and one of the things that I learned from watching him was what a reduction is. A reduction, those of you who are cooks, you all know this, is where liquids are simmered together and the volume of the liquid is reduced but all of the flavors in the ingredients are sort of enhanced and and concentrated and in a way I think that John's prologue was a reduction. He was taking all of Holy Scripture as they knew it in the first century, as the believers had received it from the Hebrews, and boiling it into a a product that would be understandable to his mostly non-Jewish audience in the mostly Greek church and Greek cultural world in which John was writing and introducing his gospel. Look at the way he begins his gospel, in the beginning. Now there's a phrase that's guaranteed to get our ears pricked up and those of anybody who had read uh, the book of Genesis and the creation story, in the beginning. And as we read the first few sentences of his prologue, we realize that what John is doing is he's sort of giving these Greeks a summary of the creation story. And it's a more radical statement than we in our 21st century context can appreciate. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, 1st century Greek thought struggled with the idea that a benevolent, all-knowing, all-powerful creator could have had anything to do with the squalor that they saw all around them. This imperfect world could not have been created by the creator who hung the stars and set the, planet, set the universe in its course there must have been something else that did it. We might think of it as sort of like an anti-God, a sort of a, almost a satanic character who would create this this cruel, decrepit world. So John's statement here is pretty radical. All things were created by him, and without him, nothing came to be. Now, he identifies two persons here. The word and god in greek that's logos and theos now logos is one of those greek words that like an onion has lots of layers on the most outside the most literal layer word is just what we take it to mean it is the the symbol on the page or the spoken sounds that blend vowel sounds and consonant sounds together and they stand for an idea or a thing or something concrete. But on a more theological, philosophical level, word logos had come to mean for Greek thinkers something like the mind of God. If you want to If you want to summarize it in one English word, it might be reason, the ultimate reason, which to the Greeks was the mind of the creator God. So John was laying out for them that this reason, this mind of God was the creator, and they were the same. So we get a little bit of our first introduction to the Trinity if we have no other frame of reference to understand it except what John is laying out. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look also at the way he, um, he sets his next few sentences. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then he writes about light. There's that light thing again. Now, remember two weeks ago we read from Isaiah, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, on them hath the light shined. It's very Greek to think of the world in this binary uh, frame of reference, good and evil, light and darkness. It's not just Greek, but it was it was something that was almost fundamental to Greek thought. And so for John to take this idea from Isaiah that the squalor in which we live is darkness, but here comes the light, and that was, he writes here, the true light, the light which lights which is coming into the world, lights everybody in the world. This is the Word. The Word is life, and the life is the light of all men. And that, again, is a, a pretty neat summing up of what the Old Testament prophets said would be this Messiah, would be light coming into the world, and it shall be for the whole world. Remember in the Jewish worldview, they were the light to the Gentiles. They were God's uh, chosen people, but not chosen for some sort of special privileges like the, the teacher's pet we all despised in grade school, but rather chosen to be his apostles, his messengers, his Uh, light to the rest of the world, the light, the, the vehicle by which the rest of the world in darkness would come to understand the source of this light. So John is giving his readers a summary of what the Old Testament prophets said about the coming of the Messiah, was coming into the world and would light all of the world. Now notice this reference to John a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Now remember, in John's gospel, he's going to start with John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. But not only in John's gospel. We see John the Baptist. And what was it he was saying? He was quoting From the Old Testament prophets, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. And Jesus himself said that John the Baptist, the one who came before him, was the greatest of all the prophets. There was no Old Testament prophet greater than the one who was the herald, who said, Make straight the way of the Lord. The one who comes after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie was the greatest of all of the prophets. Now he makes clear that there is um, there is no way that his readers should understand that John the Baptist was the light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Those of you who are with us in the in the study of the book of Acts, remember that St. Paul found in Asia a church that knew only John the Baptist, did not know anything about this Christ, and so Paul had to make known to them that John the Baptist was only the herald. They thought John was the Messiah. Well, there were lots of people <laughs> in the early church who thought John was the Messiah. And here John the, the evangelist, John the gospel writer is setting them straight he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light the true light the light that's coming into the world and will illuminate all of the world and will and will light up the people who walk in darkness they will see this light and they will be they will be illuminated that light thing again is something that is common in the old testament prophets and which is a recurring theme in John's gospel. We've said it before. Remember that when Nicodemus comes to see Jesus in the third chapter of John, it's night. When Judas leaves the upper room to go and betray Christ to the authorities, John adds the little detail, and it was night. So... Clearly, light and darkness is something that John wants to emphasize in his gospel because these these non-Jewish readers, these who hear his gospel, will understand it in the context of their Hellenistic Hellenistic world. Now, also, later on in the part after the, the printed part that you have, remember that John says... Um, he who comes after me was preferred before me, for he was before me. And that again is is more emphasis on the fact that that even though Christ came after John, Christ is logos. Christ is the Word. Christ was with God in the beginning. The same was in the beginning with God. Okay, any thoughts, comments? about that so far look at um, one of the really complex words that shows up as comprehended Um, it's about the third sentence I believe in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not more modern versions Uh, translate that as overcome it my Greek interlinear I brought it just because it's so interesting to me that um, the way the Greek interlinear translates is grasp it the darkness did not grasp it so in a way comprehend it is another one of those really complex words with layers of meaning the Greek verb is katalabene there's a mouthful but the important thing to know about that is that Catalanian implies not just understanding, but also power. And and uh, if you think of comprehended in the same way as a fence built around a house, the fence encompasses the house. Same same root word uh, work, uh, word root comprehended. There was in one of the one of the psalms David writes that the troubles have encompassed him about um comprehended is the same sense the the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not has not put it out, has not overcome it, but also the darkness did not grasp it and we'll see a little bit more how the darkness didn't grasp it because look at the next passage, he was in the world. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Now those two sentences take this comprehended it not to the next level. The darkness did not overcome it. The darkness did not understand it. He came into the world, and even though he had made the world himself, the world didn't know who he was. He came into his own, which the Greek translation is into everything that he owned and made. He came into that and his own people did not receive him. Now, on the fundamental level, we know that that is true in the gospel sense of the nation of Israel, the the context, the theological stage on which this Messiah arrived did not accept the Messiah as the Messiah. But in a larger sense, we know that the world did not accept the Messiah because the world didn't know him. The world did not know the the creator when the creator showed up. And the world rejected the creator. We can look around us and we see evidence of that every day, the world rejecting the the creator and the world will continue to reject the creator until the new Jerusalem which was the reading from Isaiah which we had 2 weeks ago I think it was lesson 4 that was describing how the wean child shall put his hand on the on the whole of the asp and the ox and the and the lion shall both chew grass together this is the world that will be when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. But until then, the world will know him not. But as many as received him, to him gave he power to become the sons of God. Now, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he so completely misunderstood what Jesus was talking about that, that his Lord had to kind of take him to the woodshed. Nicodemus, Jesus, they're having this conversation, but they're not really relating to one another. Jesus knows what's in Nicodemus's heart. So even though Nicodemus is asking these very like, fundamental basic questions, Jesus is answering the more fundamental thing that's on his mind. Nicodemus says, we know that you are a great teacher. And Jesus responds, you must be born again. That's like a non-sequitur, right? Well, it isn't because Jesus knew why Nicodemus was there. But Nicodemus, in his narrow worldview, his literal worldview, which is the worldview we all share, says, how can you be born again? Jesus explains to Nicodemus, but John gives us a summary right here. He would Those who receive him become the sons of God and they are born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man the the fundamental levels on which Nicodemus was misunderstanding what his Lord was saying they were born by the will of God we become his children by receiving him and that is by the will of God now there are are volumes of theology all wrapped up in that one little statement. Born not of blood, but of the will of God. And this is what Jesus was trying to convey to Nicodemus. And for Nicodemus, who shows up again and again in the gospel, even when he's not spoken of, we know he's there. For Nicodemus, it's a lifetime study to understand it. But there it is. We are not born sons of God. Don't ever let worldly wise man tell you that. We are not children of God. We are children of wrath, but we become children of God by receiving Him who came into the world to, a, a, to light up the whole world. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth we'll come back to in a minute, but I want to focus on two things. The Word was made flesh. Now, this is perhaps the most radical statement that John makes in his prologue for a Greek reading audience. It's radical enough that he says that the Word was with God and the Word created this universe, everything that was created was created by this Creator God, even this squalid existence that we know. But for John to then say that the mind of God, reason, logos, became human flesh, this corruptible, nasty, bottom-dwelling flesh that we inhabit, the word of the, 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 the mind of God became one of us. He dwelt among us. Now look at the word dwelt among us. In the interlinear, it says, bear with me, verse 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's a strange verb, tabernacled. Well, would it surprise you to know that in the Greek version of the Old Testament scriptures, when the Greek translators of the book of Exodus were looking for the word to describe when God was present among the nation of Israel in the wilderness in sitting on the Ark of the Covenant in this tabernacle that they would carry with them and, and, and erect every time they stopped and made camp for 40 years. God was present among them. It's the same verb. The same verb in Greek that, is, that describes the presence of God among the people of Israel during the Exodus. Everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what's going to come to pass in the New everything it's a seamless web there are threads that that look like nothing in the old testament and if you follow them all the way to the new testament there you find this this little this little gem at the end of it and here is another one the god who dwelt among the people of israel in the wilderness is the same god who dwelt among us he pitched his tent in the more you know, prosaic meaning of that word, tabernacled. He pitched his tent among us, and we were able to see the glory of God right there in front of us. The last verse, no man has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son has made him known. He hath declared him, and there he is declaring him to the people. He dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. This is the last point that I really think is is the one that is the most important and why I wanted to make sure that we read all the way through the prologue and didn't stop at verse 14, even though on Christmas Eve in King's Chapel they will stop at verse 14, I guarantee you. Grace and truth. You've heard this from the pulpit many times, so don't don't thank me for it. I, I learned it just as you did. The law was given by Moses. There's some Old Testament for you. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that Jesus Christ or the grace and truth from Jesus Christ is superior to the law from Moses. All three are necessary. The law came from Moses. Without the law, we don't have a yardstick. Without the law, we don't really accept in our hearts, which were created in God's image. We don't really have a way for understanding the difference between what God wishes and what God does not wish. But thanks to the law, which was a great gift, we have a code to follow we have and you know for lawyers like me the answer to every question from a client is well what does the law say where is the standard that we have to meet in order to conform our conduct to the law well that was the jewish approach to to their relationship with god the great gift to the Jews was God's law which says this is my standard but if law is all we have we miss a very important point we miss the fact that we can't keep it because as I talk to my clients I say well here's the legal standard and if you're doing that then you are I don't use the word righteous, but that's really what I'm saying. You were good in the eyes of the law. You conform to the law. Well, if all we have is the law, we look at ourselves and we think like the the audience listening to the Sermon on the Mount. We think, well, you know, I've never committed adultery and I've never committed murder and to the best of my ability except when you know the weather's really nice I remember the sabbath day and I keep it holy and even when I'm even when I'm at the lake or on the golf course I'm keeping it holy because I'm thinking about God and I'm enjoying his creation and I do honor my mother and my father and you know that that fella down the street doesn't really I've, I've never seen him have his mother or his father over to his house but I do If that's all we've got, if all we have is the law, it's very easy for us to compare our keeping of the law against the keeping of the law of everybody else. Well, I'm not like those Pharisees, and I'm certainly not like this tax collector. But remember what Jesus said to the audience on the Sermon on the Mount. You've been told You've been told thou shalt not kill, but I tell you that even if you've ever thought bad about your neighbor, you are guilty of breaking this commandment. That's because Jesus was explaining to them that the law is a perfect standard, a standard that we cannot meet. The standard of God is so fundamentally pure that we cannot make ourselves pure enough to meet that standard. And that is what John meant when he said Jesus was full of truth. Jesus came to illuminate us and to warm us up, but also to show us the very detail of how how unrighteous we really are. You know how sometimes I'll I'll get dressed in the dark or I'll get dressed in my closet without, you know, with the closet door open but not the light on in the closet and... I'll pull a suit off the rack and I'll look at it and it looks pretty good. And, you know, I hadn't been to the cleaners in a while, but I'll put it on and I'll get downstairs and I'll realize that I've got, I've got toddler barf over here on the shoulder or the seat looks really, really wrinkled like I, you know, sat in a mud puddle and then, and then climbed into my car and drove 300 miles. And I'm thinking maybe I should really send this suit to the cleaner. That's what the light will do. I get down in the light and I look at it in the light and I see how dirty it really is. Well, that's what the light did here. The light shineth in the darkness and the darkness can't turn the light off. And Jesus brought truth. If we see ourselves as we really are and we see ourselves as we really are through Jesus, through the Christ, then we realize that the law Is not enough we need not just the law but we need grace so that's why I think it's really important that we understand the relationship that that is being set out for us we have the law but thanks to Jesus Christ we have grace and truth so we finish with the thought that because of truth we realize our need, and because of grace, we have that need met. And I think that there can be no greater good news at the at the time of Christmas than Emmanuel. God with us. God came to be with us. The Word was made flesh. The Word built its tabernacle right here with us. The word took the wall and it illuminated it with its light and showed us the truth and then offered us grace. We cannot see God. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, the Logos, who was with God and who was God from the very beginning, the only begotten Son has made God known. He's declared him to us. Because he's declared him to us, the gospel writer is saying, we can't see God, but if you look at this word made flesh, then you will understand what God is. If you want to know what God is, who God is, then contemplate this Word made flesh. That's what we begin to do at Christmas when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's how we understand Emmanuel as being the ultimate good news. I read an interview yesterday in the Wall Street Journal with Tim Keller, the um, Presbyterian minister who has the the church in in New York City. And uh, Keller made a rather remarkable and defining claim. He says that in every other great religion, we have a prophet or a spokesman coming and saying, do what I show you to do, and you will find God. Only in Christianity do we have God coming to us himself. Not just a herald, as great as some of these heralds are, but God coming to us. Only Christianity offers, <coughs> offers to us the comfort of God reaching down to us because we can't see God But he sent his son, his word made flesh, to point the way to him. And that is the story of Emmanuel. And that is the summing up of, I submit, all Holy Scripture in these 18 elegant verses. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas.